0: In 2006, I moved from a small town on the west coast of Norway to the other side of the globe to Sydney, Australia. Now, I was super excited about this move. I was about to go to Bible college. I was about to have an adventure of a lifetime. However, moving to the other side of the world for a 19-year-old also felt a little bit overwhelming. And there were small little silly things that could feel overwhelming at times. And one of those things was Sydney traffic. Now, coming from a small town, I was used to small roads. However, in Sydney, the roads were huge and wide and had multiple lanes going in each direction. Not only that, but we then had to drive on the opposite side of the road. Now, my housemates and I, we were incredibly blessed because a couple from church, they gifted us their car. So we were able to use their car for a few months when we had just moved there. And it was such a big blessing to us. And one evening, we were out for a drive. Now, we had taken turns driving because we were all wanting to learn to drive on the wrong side of the road. And we were trying to figure out, you know, how to get from A to B, etc. So we had taken turns driving. And this time, it was my turn to drive. Now, you need to understand that this is 2006, okay? I had a Nokia flip phone. So none of us had a cool smartphone where we could just pull up Google Maps and plot in the address of where we are going. We had to remember or we had to bring a map. Now, we had you know, no map and no smartphone, so we kind of just had to figure it out as we went. So we were on our way home this evening and we were driving down a wide, big road. And after driving for a while, all of us realized that we had no idea where we were. We could not recognize anything. So we kept driving for a bit, hoping to see something that would you know, help put us on the right road to go home, but we couldn't. So we kind of just made a decision. Well, we needed to do a U-turn and to go back down the same road that we had just driven up so that we could get to somewhere that would help us find our way home. Sounds like an easy plan, doesn't it? Well, the only problem was that each time we approached an intersection, there was a big sign saying, no U-turn allowed. So the further we got, the more we freaked out. And in the end, we kind of just went, okay, let's just do it anyway. There's not that much traffic. We can totally make this work. So we made our way towards the middle of the road. You know, we slowed down a little bit. We put on the indicator indicating that we were about to do uh, a U-turn even though it was illegal. And I kid you not, within seconds, we heard sirens behind us. Apparently, this cop car had been following us for a while because they had noticed our weird pattern of, you know, speeding up and slowing down and speeding up and slowing down. So they had a bit of a suspicion that we were about to do an illegal U-turn. So they pulled us over and... You know, being the driver, I did the only thing I I knew how to do at the time. I rolled down my window, I made my eyes as big as possible, batted my eyelashes, put on my sweetest smile, made sure my accent was extra thick, and I went, excuse me, officer, is this the way to Kellyville? His strict demeanor quickly softened, and I think he kind of chuckled a bit when he realized that this, you know, rundown car was filled with five girls, all foreigners, just around the country, and we obviously had no idea where we were. So he kind of chuckled a bit at my question. He went, if you're going to Kellyville, what are you doing here? Apparently, we had gone the opposite direction of where we were supposed to go. Now, he was so kind to give us instructions as to how to find our way home. So he sent us back down the road that we came, and he gave us instructions as to which turns to take so that we could get back on track. Now, he also gave us a stern warning never to do an illegal U-turn on this, this big, wide road, but that's another story. He was, he was so kind not to give us a fine. If you're taking notes today, the title of my message is, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? I'm sure we all have stories of times in our lives that we've gotten lost. Maybe you've gotten lost when you've been out driving or out running, or maybe you've been lost in a big city when you've been sightseeing. I'm sure you can recognize that feeling of, oh, where am I? Well, today we're going to look at a passage of scripture in the Old Testament where the prophet Elijah has gotten a bit lost, where he needs a little bit of direction as to get back on track. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them with me to 1 Kings chapter 19. Now, before we read this passage, I would love to give you a little bit of context so that we can better understand this passage of scripture. Now, at this time in history, there is a king and his name is Ahab. Now, Ahab, he is not a very good man. In fact, he has been worshiping a pagan god named Baal, and he has led all of the Israelites to worship this pagan god. Then we have the prophet Elijah, who is a God-fearing man. He's the only prophet left in all of Israel. He went to the king Ahab and prophesied to him there was going to be no rain for three years. Well, needless to say, the king was not too impressed with that. So he wanted Elijah dead so for the next three years elijah he was hiding in the desert afraid for his life but god sustained him there and god continued to do miraculous things both in his life for him and through him which is awesome well three years passed and elijah presented himself to the king once again because god had told him it was about to rain well he went to the king and basically said to the king hey If Baal is the real God, well, then you should worship him. But if the Lord God is the true God, you should worship him. And he challenged him and brought him up on the mountain of Carmel. And he brought all the Israelites and all the Baal prophets as well. And they built two altars, one to Baal and one to the Lord. And they sacrificed an animal on these altars, but they were not allowed to light the fire. So the Baal prophets cried out to Baal to bring the fire, but nothing happened. And then Elijah cried out to God to bring the fire, and God sent the fire of heaven. I can imagine this moment. I can kind of visualize a lightning, you know, just consuming this altar with fire. Who knows what it looked like, but it must have been majestic. Well, in that moment, the king and all the Israelites, they threw themselves on their knees and said, the Lord is God. The Lord is God. So revival was literally breaking out on this mountaintop and all the Baal prophets were executed. Pretty crazy story. Well, it went on to basically start raining. God sent the rain that he had promised. And then it says at the end of chapter 18, that fueled by his faith and his passion and probably excitement about this revival, Elijah, he ran all the way from Mount Carmel, all the way to Jezreel, which was the city where the king lived. He ran ahead of the king to get there now i'm sure he was just pumped up by everything that had happened he was probably expecting to be promoted and to to work in the king's palace surely he was expecting a season of rest after having been on the run for so many years so he was excited and full of faith and full of passion and i'm sure we all have thoughts about what happened next but let's have a look in chapter 19 verses 1 to 2. it says this now ahab told jezebel his wife Everything Elijah had done, and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Now let's pause there for one second. Jezebel was Ahab's wife. She had not been on that mountaintop. She had not seen this incredible miracle that God had done bringing fire. She had not had an encounter and a revelation that the Lord is God. So when Ahab, her husband, came back and told her, probably with a lot of passion, what had happened, what she heard was that Elijah, who was the reason for the drought in the land, now also was the reason for killing 400 Baal prophets. She was a Baal prophetess. She was a Baal worshiper, and she was not happy about this. So she then sends a messenger to let Elijah know, hey, I'm out to kill you. Now, personally, I don't actually think she thought she could kill him, because let's be honest, she had seen her husband chase this man for three years, wanting to kill him, but not being successful at it. And not only that, but if she really wanted to kill him, wouldn't she just have the messenger kill him rather than send him a warning? So in my mind, I'm kind of thinking she probably knew that she was not going to be able to kill him, but she did what she knew how to do, and that was to intimidate him. She intimidated him with a threat saying, I am intending to kill you and it will happen by tomorrow. And you know what? Elijah fell right into her trap. In verse 3, it says, Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. He was, fear gripped his heart and he was probably tired from being on the run for three years. He was probably frustrated because this indicated that, well, Baal worship was not over in in Israel and he had expected a promotion, but instead he found persecution. So instead of resting in the miraculous provision of rain, instead of resting in all the incredible miracles he had just seen, he ran for his life once again. And it says that he went into the wilderness And he traveled in the wilderness for 40 days. And then he reached a mountain called Horeb. And at this mountain, God met him there. And we're going to read a few more verses. Verse 9 to 13. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of a cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? I'm going to summarize the next few verses for the sake of time. But basically, Elijah gave the Lord the same answer that he had already given him, implying that he was the victim, implying that he had done all this work for the Lord, but for what? Baal worship still exists, he said. And I'm the only one left that follows you, that worships you. Well, you know what God said to him? He said, go back the way you came. And in his grace, he showed him that he was actually not alone. He said, in fact, he sent him on his way to anoint two new kings and a prophet. And he told him that there were 7,000 Israelites that had been reserved, that had not yet engaged in Baal worship. There is so much gold in this text, but we're going to stick to three points today. And point number one is this, mind over matter. Mind over matter. Have you ever heard that expression before? mind over matter, it kind of indicates that we need to use our willpower to overcome a challenge. So for example, if you follow our lead pastor on Instagram, you will see that he's currently training for a marathon. I can imagine that when he is in the middle of a long run, that he has to exercise some mind over matter. He might want to give up, but he uses his willpower to keep going despite the fact that he's tired. That is a great example of mind over matter. Or we've just celebrated Easter. I don't know about you, but I love chocolate. This is a silly example, but it takes a bit of willpower, a bit of mind over matter in order to say no thank you to something that tastes so sweet, but is not necessarily so good for you, right? Mind over matter. Now our minds are incredibly fascinating. Now, I am no expert when it comes to neuroscience and the brain, but I am fascinated by it. And I've had the honor of sitting in some great lectures given by neuroscientist experts, and professors in this field. And uh, the brain is extremely complex. Now, if you look up some very basic brain anatomy, you will quickly discover that there's different parts of the brain that are responsible for different functions. So for example, there is a structure in the brain called the limbic system. The limbic system is responsible for our emotions. And this part of the brain is reactionary. Now, I'm sure we've all had experiences of being overwhelmed by an emotion and then acting based on that emotion. In fact, that's what Elijah is doing right here, isn't it? He was overcome with fear. And rather than, you know, using logic, he acted based on that emotion, based on that fear, and he ran away. That's a great example of engaging the limbic system. Now, I sat in a lecture A few years ago given by a professor from liberty university her name is dr Jeannie brooks and she said something that stood out to me she said the devil would like nothing more than to keep us captive to our own limbic system now what does she mean by that now imagine with me for a moment that we had some sort of emotional like overwhelming emotion so for example i'm overcome with insecurity or overcome with stress or fear and if All I do is act based on that emotion. So if I only act based on my stress or my insecurity or my fear or my shame, well, then I'm not going to be a functional, healthy human being, right? I'm not going to be an effective Christ follower if all I do is live in that place of insecurity. Now, I want to give a little disclaimer here, okay? I am not talking about a mental health diagnosis. So if you are, you know, experiencing anxiety and you are seeing a doctor because of that, for example, you need to follow your doctor's order, okay? I am talking about everyday emotions that all of us feel, that all of us have in this moment, all right? So... The Bible has a lot to say about the mind. For example, in Romans 12, 2, it says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In 1 Corinthians 10, 5, it says to take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That sounds beautiful, hey? But how do we do it? How do we actually do it? You see, here's the thing that blew me away in this lecture by Dr. Jeannie Brooks. After saying that the devil wants nothing more than to keep us captive in our limbic system, she went on to explain that when we choose to pick up our Bibles and open it up to a verse that maybe talks about what we are going through and we start meditating on that word, we are actually moving from the limbic system to using our prefrontal cortex, the frontal part of our brain, and that is the center of life of organization. In other words, when we choose to meditate on the Word of God, it literally, quite scientifically, breaks free from the limbic system and moves to a different part of the brain, which means the Word of God just sets us free quite scientifically, which is awesome. And I love the scripture, Romans 12 2, that says, do not conform to the patterns of the world will be transformed by the renewing of the mind because it continues and it says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. In other words, when we move from the reactionary part of the brain to the logical part of the brain, God's word sets us free and we are able to test and approve what God's will is. Because here's the thing, I don't think it was God's will for Elijah to run away and to hide in a cave. And in the same way, it's not God's will for you and me to live in a cave of stress, to live in a cave of worry, to live in a cave of shame, to live in a cave of insecurity. So I want to I say to you today what God said to Elijah. Come out of the cave. Come out of that cave. You are not called to live in that cave. Come out of that cave. Open your Bible. Find the verse that speaks to your situation. Start declaring it over your life. Start meditating on it because you know what it does? It sets you free. It sets you free from your limbic system and it starts moving you to your frontal lobe, and you are able to actually use logic. So rather than to run into your cave, you start confessing truth. It grounds you in the truth of who you are and who God has called you to be and what God has called you to do. So come out of the cave, mind over matter. We can use our minds, we can renew our minds in the word of God. Amen? Mind over matter. Now, I am not speaking this message because I'm good at this. In fact, at the end of 2020, I was seeking God and just asking God for a word for 2021. And I started realizing that in 2020, I had engaged a lot in my limbic system. I had had lots of thoughts of insecurity and lots of thoughts of worry about the future, et cetera. And when I asked God for a word for 2021, right thinking dropped into my spirit. So I then declared that 2021 for me was the year of right thinking. In other words, this here is an ongoing revelation, ongoing thing that I'm working through. And I want to invite you to come along on that journey as well. Let's make this the year where we have right thinking. In Philippians 4, it says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Mind over matter. Now, the good news is that when we come short, because we will, emotions are normal. They're human. We all have them and they're beautiful when used right. But when we come short, when we are engaging in our limbic system a bit too much, when we run into our caves, God will meet us there. When we're not enough, he is enough. And that leads me to my next point, which is faith over fear. Now, Elijah, he obviously gave in to fear. When Jezebel intimidated him, he literally dropped everything and ran away. Now, I don't know if you thought about this, but when I first read it, I kind of thought, that doesn't make any sense to me because he has just witnessed these incredible miracles, right? I mean, first he was on the run in the desert and God did great things for him there. He had a raven bring him food every day. He saw a young man raised from death to life. He saw a widow who had a jar of oil and a jar of flour that just never ran dry. Then he went up on the mountain and saw God bring the fire. He saw revival breaking out. And then he saw the coming of rain after a long season of drought. So he knew that God was powerful. He knew that God was faithful. Yet in that moment of receiving an intimidating threat, he dropped everything and ran. You know what? I just want to take a moment to remind you today of who your God is. Because we we will all have moments where we are overcome with emotion. But in that moment, we have a choice to, to choose faith over fear. Because we serve a God who is so powerful, so almighty. He is the way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness kind of God. Nothing is impossible with Him. He's the Ephesians 3.20 kind of God. He is, you know, that Exceedingly, abundantly above kind of God. That's the God that we serve. So I want to encourage you today, no matter what you are facing, God is on your side. He is with you. He is for you. That's not to say that what you are experiencing is not overwhelming or scary because those, those emotions are valid. But I just want to remind you that you have an almighty God, a powerful God, a miracle-working God on your side. And nothing is impossible for Him. I love Joyce Meyer. She always says, Don't tell God how great your problem is. Tell your problem how great your God is. Which is cool, hey? Philippians 4, 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything. Easier said than done. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, With thanksgiving, present your request to God. Go from limbic system to frontal lobe. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In other words, when our limbic system goes a bit nuts, we can exercise mind over matter by meditating on the word of God. And we can exercise faith over fear by simply looking at the size of our God, the power of our God, and nothing is impossible. For him. Now the beautiful thing about the God that we service is grace. You see it's never too late to choose faith over fear. It's never too late to put mind over matter. And I love that when Elijah initially ran away from God. God simply just met him there. And he called him out of the cave right. But he didn't just call him out of the cave. He also gave him instructions. To go back the way that he came. To take a U-turn, here's the thing. The voice of the intimidator, which to Elijah was Jezebel, the voice of the intimidator might be loud. For us, it might be a thought we have, a thought of insecurity, a thought of fear, something that is overwhelming. That voice might feel very loud. But I want to tell you that the whisper of God is more powerful. God whispered to Elijah, what are you doing here? Go back the way you came. We serve a powerful God. So let me ask you again, what are you doing here? Come out of that cave and go back the way you came. Go back to the truth of the word of God. Go back to the knowledge you have of the God that we serve. Amen? So mind over matter, faith over fear, and the last one is simply this, life over death. In Romans 8, Verse six, it says that the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. It reminds me of another scripture where it says the tongue has the power of life and death and those who love it will eat its fruit. Isn't it interesting? The mind governed by the the flesh is death. The words that we speak has the power of life and death. You see, here's the thing it often starts in our minds, but then it goes to our hearts and then it becomes our confession and our words are powerful. When the Lord asked Elijah, what are you doing here? He confessed that he was a victim, that he was the only one left, that woe to me. What are you confessing over your life? What are you confessing over your situation? What are you confessing over your children, over your business, over the future that God has destined for you? What do you confess? Your words are powerful in the same way that we need to renew our mind. We need to renew our confession and make it, base it on the word of God. But I love that God in His gracious nature simply showed Elijah that his confession was incorrect. He showed him, hey, you're not actually alone. You're not alone in this. There are 7,000 Israelites that are not worshiping Baal. Not only that, but he told them to, you know, anoint a couple of kings and a prophet. And he showed them that these guys will be on this journey with you. And I just want to remind you today as well that you have a church family in your corner. There is no reason to do difficult seasons alone. You have a church family that cheers you on. We have pastoral care teams that would love to pray with you and do the journey with you. We have connect groups that would love to do life with you, so you are not alone in whatever you might be facing today as well. Amen. So let's be each other's biggest encouragers and let's speak life not just over ourselves and our situations but over each other as well. Amen. So, mind over matter, we can renew our minds through the Word of God. Faith over fear, we have an incredible God that we serve who is on our side and nothing is impossible with Him. And we can choose life over death in our thinking, in our language, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's renew our mind, renew our faith, and renew our confession, amen. We never finish a service at Hillsong without giving people an opportunity to connect their life with Jesus. Now we just celebrated Easter, which is such a special time for us because we celebrate that Jesus died on that cross for every single one of us, for our sins, for our mistakes, that we could be forgiven and have eternal life with him. And today it would be my greatest honor to pray with you if you're saying that I would like to connect my life with Jesus. I want that personal relationship with him. I want to include him in my life. So why don't we all pray this prayer together and you can repeat after me. Now, if you're alone at home, you might be able to say this out loud. But even if you're on the run, you can just whisper it under your breath. But let's pray this together. Dear Jesus, I am sorry for all my sins and mistakes. Today I choose you. I make you my Lord and my Savior. From today, I am a follower of Jesus. I am forgiven and I am free.